It's pretty bittersweet. The uh, 2023 season has come to an end for the BASS Elite Series and uh, some of the other major tournament circuits, but uh, we're going to dive into that on this episode of the OneCast. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, It's a toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day. Welcome back to the OneCast, folks. This is Trey here with Ben and Pete. We are sitting here on a rainy day, which makes it nice to be inside, doesn't it? Yeah. And yeah. it's only about 75, thanks to uh, whatever the hurricane's name is. Yeah. Idelia? Yeah. Hurricane Idelia? Hopefully everyone down in Florida is, is as safe as possible. Yeah. Uh, they got hit pretty hard, but just rain up here i know man it's it's like a string of uh it comes in threes right so you had the wildfires in maui and uh you know we're praying for those folks out there in maui and then you got hurricanes getting ready to they already hitting the the uh, the mainland i hope there's nothing else but bass is done for the season so i guess that's three i guess that's three but uh hey check on uh Check on the snagless jigs, the the long neck hooks, and all the soft plastics that Ben just released. So one cast fishing, go over to onecastfishing.com. Use the code the one cast. You're gonna save a little change uh, at checkout. And uh, Pete, what you got, man? Nothing, man. Anybody that's close, if you want to come to a cool event and hang out with us, September 30th, Cash and Fishing Rods is having their kayak masterclass. So. Uh, Casey Reed, Corey Dreyer, both who've been on the show, Jody Queen, who we'll have on. I just haven't been able to work the schedule out. Uh, Going to be coming down talking about kayak fishing. All those guys have won a bunch of tournaments, been doing it for a long time. Uh, as always, make sure you check out FX3 Inc., Heroes Harvest, uh, For His Glory Outdoors, uh, doing a lot of stuff to help those that have uh, fought for our freedoms and and are back home now. We all know the struggles involved with uh, that for some folks. So if you can help those organizations, however you can, donate time, money, whatever it is, uh, reach out to them and see what you can do. I think what's important, um, you know, we, we're not sponsored or in an official partnership capacity with like FX3 and Heroes Harvest or anything like that. Um, you know, I'm an ambassador for Heroes Harvest. We're good friends with the owners of, or, or the owner of FX3. But I think the important message here is like, it's not to send money to help, but like that money, what it goes to is so many things that veterans assistant, or the, the VA, right? What's, I can't even remember what it stands for, but VA is so spread thin with their ability to support the veteran community that your outreach, your donations, even, even the ability to take a phone call just helps out in, in any way that, you know, the, the VA is just, it's missing that man. I, I don't really know how to like get my words right to, to talk about this, but on a daily basis, everyone is struggling, you know, a lot of veterans and outside of veterans, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're huge advocates in supporting those nonprofits and those people that are volunteering their time, right. And, and their time costs money. So if you do have the ability to throw a penny here and there towards those organizations, they're always linked in the descriptions in our, um, in our podcast and stuff. So make sure you check those out. And if you have any questions, uh, you know, please shoot us a message because uh, all of that money, 100% of that money goes towards the cause. And and as I get closer, like I don't want to beat this horse to death, but as I get closer to transitioning from the military and Ben already has and Pete transitioned from first responder community, you, the biggest thing that you lose a lot of times is not that you're not going to get a job. You're going to get a job. You're going to find something on the outside but it's that sense of purpose and that sense of community. And that's a big thing that's missing, right? And so we're trying to help all these organizations bring that sense of community back and give other people the ability to, to reach out and, and talk and vent and you know explain what's going on. So I know I was rambling there, but I think it's really important. I'm glad that you brought it up, Pete. Um, but yeah, man. Oh, what just happened? That was a oh. terrible lip smack. Happened. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> you might want to turn your gain down a little bit because it sounds like you have a lisp. Lisp? Do I have a lisp? Wrong one. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah lisp. Yeah. Lisp now. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. Anything before we jump into this bad boy from you guys? No, I don't have anything else. Okay, cool. St. Lawrence River. St. Lawrence River. Smallmouth Disney World. Yeah, that's right. Four century belts. Should have been five. If yes, would have for sure been five. If Kyle Welcher would have had yeah. his boat. Yeah. This 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 last weekend, and I'm sure most of our listeners or our watchers are 
they are well tuned in with the tournament series going on. But Bassmaster just finished up their last event of the year. So it, it determined the Angler of the Year, Rookie of the Year. It determined uh, basically all the Angler of the Year um, places, which determines who goes to Bassmaster Classic, so even though that's not finally set yet. But So a lot of things were determined this past weekend. It was an excellent event out there. I know we were all focused uh, because uh, Maddie had to qualify, or I should say he had to finish uh, 15th and above is what yep. they said on Bass Live to re-qualify, and he, he came out with the top 10. So back up against the wall. And after our episode and talking to Maddie, you know, for almost, I mean, because we talked to him off off the record, you know, it was probably three or four hours. Long that, time. A long time we talked to him. And so it was absolutely uh, phenomenal to watch him go out there with his back against the wall and just and produce day after day. I think he had 20 pounds every day. Champions find a way, man. Yes, they do. So, he's a national champion and he found a way to, to stay, you know, prove that he belongs. And those last four events, his back was against the wall and he had two top tens and I think the other two were top twenty-five. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he he put it put it out when he needed to. Uh, not that not that he didn't all year. He had a good year. You know, he he in our episode he talked about the struggles his rookie year, but kind of settled into things this year and had a much better year. And and I think uh, next year year three is going to be even even better for Maddie. So, yeah. I, I think what's neat, and you know, I, I wish that we had the opportunity. We may, you know, but I wish we could get every single person to tell their story yeah. um, on our show. And I think that is, for me, it's what we do a little bit differently here at at the One Cast, right? Like, and there's a lot of shows that do it, but I I, I like how we dive in. I'm kind of like giving ourselves kudos here, but I like diving into uh, the you know the person behind the jersey or the anchor yeah. behind the jersey and like every single one of these guys and gals has like a very unique story and they all come from different backgrounds and every one of them is cut from a different you know uh, cloth but his story was really cool man so yeah I'm glad you brought that up like huge congratulations on him requalifying for the elites and uh, and you know what he prospers in smallmouth territory man he did a really good job so requalifying for the elites and then. I just feel like bass and and maybe this is just me and I, I guess I don't watch bass fishing as much as I did since we started the show. I feel like the elites had a really interesting year with who won events and you know how many times they won events and how they won the event. I just think it was really neat to kind of, you know, see the 2023 season uh come to yeah. what it was yeah we should probably do an entire episode wrapping up each each series and kind of going through because you know one of our you know our early episodes and we'll do this again when we when we do our season preview probably december january yeah, yeah. Um, but we also did one that wrapped everything up we should probably wrap everything up for each major series because there's a lot to talk about i mean we we just barely started talking about this last event we haven't mentioned who the winner was. No, we haven't. We're keeping yeah. them in suspense, though, Ben. <laughs> you know, oh, I'll say Patrick Walters won with 105 <laughs> pounds, which is the biggest four-day total of smallmouth ever. The biggest all-smallmouth century bet at belt was, in bass. How history. much did Shakira have last year? Not 105 pounds. He had a little over 102, 102 pounds. Yeah, so. okay. So, yeah, two pounds is a lot over, over 105 four days. even. Chris Johnson second with 103.12. Fujita. Uh, Third with 102. What's his first name, Pete? I, I, I always mess it up. So. <laughs> Koya Fujita. Koya, yeah. Uh, Taku with 101.7. And then Kyle rounded out the top five with 99.12. And again, he fished. He lost about the first three hours of the day because of his boat blowing up. And then by the time he got another one, he was he was fishing behind. I really feel like if he had a full day, we would have seen five centuries. Look at that cash bonus that Kyle Welcher has. Yeah, $101,000 cash bonus for... Angler of the year, your angler of the year, Kyle oh, Welcher. Holy. I know, uh, I know Trey was super excited about that. I, you know, I know, I know enough about Kyle to know Kyle, but Trey's a big fan of Kyle Welcher, so he was really excited to see him. Yeah, win I, that. It, when, when Kyle first came on tour, and I, I think, I think this is his third year this year, if I'm not mistaken, maybe his second year. Yeah, second or third year. Wow, I don't sound like a real big fan, do I? But, um, you know. I, I started watching Kyle on his uh, on his YouTube series and stuff when he was fishing. Um, it's his fourth year, but anyways, um, watching him when he first started fishing uh, the Elite Tour, I think he I know he was a professional poker player, 
Um, but yeah. yeah, we just we just confirmed third year on the third elite. year on the elites. You know, he came out like blazing guns. I think his first uh, first elite series tournament was down the St. John's River, and he caught a ten pounder over a ten pounder. You know, flipping some lily pads and stuff like that. Finished but, eighth in his first first yeah, event ever. It was really cool to see. Um, and he, he's he's one of those guys that like. When he's like the definition of a poker face, like even when you get him like on camera, like he's not very animated. He's not very, he just seems like he's always in the game and just like the, where he comes from, it doesn't, he he doesn't come from a lot of money. Like he's got a really young marriage with his wife and just like, it's cool to see his story transpire, but he is, he reminds me, he reminds me of like a younger version of Jason Christie. Like mm. very like a lot of anglers, I would assume are like, man, it's Kyle's here. It's kind of like at your local lake, right? Like, dang, Mike Corbishley's at Falls Lake today. You know he's gonna take your money. But I just think it's cool. I think he uh, he fishes the way he wants to fish. He hasn't really conformed, um, if if that means anything. And uh, so yeah, it was cool to see him. Uh, 40, angler Forty three tournaments between the opens and. And elites, and he only fished the opens one division one year before he went yep. made the elites. Yeah, so forty three tournaments total and thirty six times the money. That that's pretty consistent. It's pretty good. <laughs> that means you're above fiftieth. I think as they pay they pay down fifty or seventy five. I think fifty. Yeah. Um. Either way, that's uh, that's pretty dang good. And it says Kyle left nursing school to support oh, himself yeah. as a professional gambler. That's right. So the guy's the guy's done <laughs> some stuff, but uh and he and he gambles when he like he still does gamble. It, it's one of those things. He's he's got a he's got a crazy unique story, kind of like Maddie has. Yep. You know, it's interesting that um it's kind of like it kind of seems two different paths. You see guys who come out of co- the college, you know, high school, college ranks, and this is all they've done is fish, and then you see other guys who kind of maybe in their 20s, early 30s, said, well, let's just try this thing out. And for whatever reason, they just seem to have it. Well, we heard it with <laughs> Destin, you know, played baseball in college and, mm-hmm. and realized after getting hurt that wasn't going to happen. So he transitioned. Uh, the Shryock brothers were professional motocross yeah. guys yeah. Uh, who transitioned. There's a lot of baseball guys, actually, that transitioned to, to fishing for some reason, maybe because they're both summer or spring sports. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. You guys, you think they would they would fight it's each the, other. It's but the same as it's casting. The same casting, I mean. like. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's a lot of you see a lot of guys that played baseball or, or there's quite a few motocross, not just the Shryocks, they're just the only ones I can think of off the top of my head. But it's pretty interesting how all walks of life kind of get involved. One thing, uh, we'll talk about rookie of the year too. I want to bring one other thing up, but I'll wait until we get through this because it'll probably make a bunch of conversation. Uh Joey Cifuentes two, you know, won two blue trophies this year and then won a rookie of the year by one point over uh Vegeta. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I think I, I can't say it right just because it makes because. Ray giggle. But yeah, won it by a point. So 698 to 697, rookie of the year. So two Elite Series wins and a rookie of the year for Joey C. Fuentes. Uh, not and, the first time has been done, but definitely awesome. And you know what he did before, right? In college? I don't remember. He played baseball. Did he? And now I'm who, on his who's, his, who's his mentor? Larry Nixon. I knew right? Larry, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Mr. Mega Bucks himself, the general, Larry he's Nixon. Gonna have, he's going to have to fill out his biography. We don't have enough in there. So, yeah. Uh, we're hoping to get we're Joey a, on the show. We have a mutual connection. He's a, he's a rookie this year. Yeah. He's a year older than me. I, I still got a chance. <laughs> Boys, I could still do it. Well, look, at, if you look at guys like that's one thing about the elites is like, and you can go at any time. Look at like Jamie Hartman was in his 40s before he. Well, qualified. That, that was interesting because um, like Rick came out with his video about the younger guys. Uh, I think KVD was talking about it. That's where I was um, going. And then, oh, were you were you going here? Well, we'll just we'll just go ahead and jump transition. right in. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, a hot it's a hot topic. Who else was talking about it? Um, I mean, you had Rick, you had uh, Matt Heron put a video out uh, about it. Swindle, Swindle, Swindle talked about it. Uh, did we say Ricky? Yeah, KVD talked about it. Um, so, so because I think what I was listening to today, I think it was. like the your prime for fishing and yeah. now it's definitely drifted the young 30s or in your 20s right for your actual prime mm-hmm. and that these these guys come along and you know he's you know being a rookie he's 34 so we're actually he, 34 now he's, yeah, you know so he 30, took the 35. time to learn there's no doubt technology is dominating like not dominating but it's a big part of the sport not that it hasn't always been 
side scan. Part of the reason why KVD was so good, and he he talked about it in that interview you were just talking about with Bass U, is he knew how to use his electronics when he came. Like he could use down imaging, he could use side imaging. He had those tools. He knew how to use them. He probably gave the most educated and KVD response to the whole like forward facing sonar conversation. Like, hey, technology is part of the game. It's not going anywhere. You either learn to use it or you don't. And, you know, it's it's the same as when side imaging came. He goes, it's different now because we can see everything in real time. And, you know, like Demiki rigging, we used to mm-hmm. do that with 2D. We were just over the fish. Now we don't Demiki rig. We, we uh, what do they call that? Like, not slack line, but um, whatever it is where you basically still Demiki rigging, but you're throwing it 60 feet instead. <laughs> uh, now we do that because we can see them at 60 feet. We're not looking at them straight out of the boat with 2D. But there's been a lot of talk. Bernie Schultz and somebody uh, went on a little bit of a tangent on Bass Live about limiting forward-facing sonar and and how there's no skill. Not that there's no skill, but it takes away some of the uh, the natural. What's the word I'm looking for? Maddie talked about it too. Like the, the, the like the actual instinct. 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 Yeah. yeah. For some reason, I brain for it on instinct. Like how that's <laughs> how it's taking away like the instincts to fishing. But here's my take on it. We could talk about it. Like. You still have to know where the fish are. You still have to know where to look for them. You still have to find them. You still have to be able to figure out what they're eating. Just because well, you can see them doesn't well, mean they're going to Life scope has proven over time and time again our instincts were wrong. Yeah. In That's, some cases, yeah. yeah. A lot of times, completely wrong. Well, we've watched them like... Well, what we thought they, we knew was wrong. Exactly, right? Yeah. So that's, and, and that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Instincts reading the water, trying to like all the old wives and all the wives tales or all the old tricks that we used to do, right? Live scopes teaching us that's not the case. And, and some of these like telemetry studies that they did at Toledo Bend, different places and the studies are tracking fish. Like there's a lot we don't know. Yep. And, and right. And so it's just interesting that rely on instinct, but, but if our instincts point us in the wrong direction, yeah. why, why won't we use something? To Li- go- live scope is like the new, compass for fishing I, I agree with what a lot of folks said that this on year forward facing so this year on bass and i'm not i don't know what it did on mlf because i didn't watch enough mlf stuff just because i wasn't a fan of the five fish i've talked about before it truly played a factor in i think every tournament but one was one because of forward facing sonar and it was one in different ways because of forward facing mm-hmm. sonar tyler rivette at okeechobee winning in the river with a jerk bait Joey went in his first one of the year on uh, Seminole. Seminole fishing 20 some foot timber, you know, forward facing those big, I think they were pre-spawn out there. They could have been mm-hmm. post-spawn, whatever they, they were. were pre-spawn. He was catching those fish out, you know, deep where people wouldn't have fished in that, before. In that big hole. Uh, in the big hole. Yeah. Santee didn't play a huge role. A lot of them guys were just fishing. But they were using trees, it for, uh, but for they bed, were, bed. Yeah, they were using it to find some of those beds. You're right. Yeah, for bed fishing. Yeah. Uh, where was the one site fishing tournament? One of the Drews won it. Was oh. it Murray? No. Or Lay? No. It was Murray, Murray. It didn't really play a role. Because so those guys were just Sabine did not really. Sabine, it didn't really play a role. So there's what? Maybe two tournaments this there's year. There's not enough fish at Sabine to make it play a role. But it, it was definitely interesting to see. It, yeah. <laughs> it changed. I love the Sabine. It changed. Uh, it changed how guys are going to fish. I guarantee you there's more people on Okeechobee next year practicing with a jerk bait in their hand. Or they're not going to go there next year. Next time they go, I guarantee you there's more people with a jerk bait in their hand. Like, and I don't and we're getting hopping on a different topic. I don't want to quite understand why people wouldn't think it play so much of a role. Because when I was down there in twenty twenty one, that live scope came in handy. Like you're just in flats of eelgrass in the middle of the lake. You just scan around to where you see more bait and more fish, and that's where you cast to. It just, yeah, I mean, it just hadn't yet. It hadn't impacted an event down there yet. This was the first one it really did. And I don't know. I'm all for it. I like I, to see. I like to see fish getting caught different ways. Uh, I like. I like technology. Like technology is cool. It's a good thing. It. You. I see fish all the time that I can't make eat. Like I know they're there. Doesn't mean I'm going to catch them. Stay. Stay tuned to this episode because I want to circle back around to this topic. So we announced we're going to circle back like Trey said. He has some questions for us. We're going to keep talking a little bit about forward facing. I wanted to take over the the episode, but it's it's big in the in the bass world right now. A lot of the pros are talking about it. But one thing big with us was our new partnership. We announced that last week with Carolina Waters. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for any performance fishing wear, outdoor lifestyle brand apparel, t-shirts, uh, sun shirts. I had one in. You saw the ad read last week that I did. I had the sun shirt on. They got a ton of different hats. 
Uh, I personally have been wearing their sun shirts for a couple of years. It's a great high quality product, keeps you cool, breathes really well, uh, keeps you out of that dangerous sun when you're out there uh, on the water like we are. They did just uh, launch a new performance hoodie, super lightweight. Uh, it's white, like a white with a gray camo on the sleeve. Uh, I'll bring one in and show it off next time because I got a couple thumb holes in the in the in the sleeves. I don't really know what you need those for, but everybody seems to like them. Uh, they just launched that, so make sure you head to Carolina Waters nc.com check out everything they have to offer like i said t-shirts hats sun shirts uh they have women's uh specific cuts and hats and they got like my wife's got a couple of hats that have like a ponytail hole in the back so a uh, few ladies like to wear your hair up and a ponytail was made for that um make sure you go check them out make sure you use the code the one cast to check out the month of september that code is going to be worth a little bit money more money off it'll save you 20 percent off your order uh, so head to carolinawatersnc.com, use the code the one cast, all one word at checkout, save 20%. Uh, make sure you go check out what they got and uh, get you some sweet gear. So I, I, I want to finish talking about the derb mm -hmm. real quick. And, and then, you the know, derb. so so folks stay tuned and, and we're going to get in some opinion related things uh, at the end here. But um, Pete talked about it. We were talking about Patrick Walters, Patrick Walters won the Derby, the final mm -hmm. Derby of the 2023 season. Um, Kyle Welcher, outstanding angler of the year performance, won that. And that was a tight race. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was a really tight race because if, who was it? If, if Brandon if, Cobb, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it was between Welcher and Brandon Cobb. And they were, oh, yeah. they, they were on the heels of each other. Um, yeah. Kyle kind of ran away with it at the end. Brandon. Yep. And, and Brandon had talked about it on live with them. Uh, he was worried about the North swing. He, he struggled in the North before. This isn't the first time that's that's happened with him. So, yeah, uh, he ended up winning by 30, roughly 30 points. Yeah, he definitely ran away with it at the very end. And, uh, man, it was almost looking like Welter could have pulled out the W on this one or at least pulled out the fifth century belt, which we'd said before there was four of them, but it was really cool. And then something that we didn't talk about, and obviously we'll get to the, to the tournament winner. We already said, but, um, Brian Smith weighed in on day one, the largest bag mm. in BASS history, the largest, all small mouth bag, all small mouth bag over 29 pounds, was it 29, five. Yeah, 29, it was, six. it was a massive, they don't have this, but there was also <laughs> a, uh, 28 pound bag that day, I believe. Yeah. And there was a couple, I think 26 and 27 throughout the tournament. Yeah. So, yeah. When, when you, <laughs> so when you look at this and, and minus watching live with anglers using forward facing sonar, which we'll get to later. Um, when you look at this tournament, it was a really cool, like grand finale in a really cool place, catching a bunch of brown fish, rookie of the year who won two tournaments this year alone, mm -hmm. right? What an amazing accomplishment in your rookie season. I wonder how that feels for him to be amongst what he would probably consider giants, right? Guys like Larry Nixon, Rick Klein, um, Greg Hackney, Gerald Swindle, like some of the major giants of the sport. But then there's like some of the other ones that are giants of the sport too. And I, and some of those giants of the sport have never even won a blue trophy. Swindle's never, Swindle's won, a never won a blue trophy. Yeah, You know what I mean? It, it just um, goes to show how, how difficult it is to actually come out on top. And, and, and oh, Kyle Walter, right? He's never won. He's never won yeah. one. He didn't win one this year. Um, and it was a super close, right? Super close race at the end. I mean, we talked about Cobb, you know, falling off a little bit in the small mouth up in Northern mm -hmm. Swing. But, like, it was a super close race the entire time. But, he like, he didn't win an event this year. Yeah. But he still was the best, most consistent angler throughout the entire season. Um, the Rookie of the Year, Joey, he did win, too. And, but he barely won <laughs> by one point. He, he ended up in the, the top year. five points too yeah. overall, which is which is it, pretty impressive. It, it just goes to show how difficult it is to actually pull out a win on one of these tournaments. Yeah. And he could have had Joey Sefuentes stayed, you know, I don't know, within that top ten like the whole season. He could have won Angler of the Year too, couldn't he? Yeah, I think he had one 
one tournament that was really bad, Santee, yeah. which was one they thought he was actually going to do good on. Yeah. And he's struggling on. And if it weren't for that, I mean, he's right there. In <laughs> Could the you imagine? Like a top 15 or top 10 there. And Joey's right, like right there in the conversation. It, what's, what's crazy to me with it, though, just because in this event, it was two and a half pound difference. I mean, the payout difference between first and second is tremendous. Yeah. 100 it, grand right? for first. Even though the points aren't going to be. I mean, that's why you don't have to win an event and you can it, – it, and it's actually interesting to go look. If you look over the course of like many Angler of the Years, if you look at their winnings for the year compared to other guys, even though they're the most consistent Angler, they, they win less. Like dollar-wise, they won less because yeah, just, typically, just, yeah. just getting that trophy, getting that getting that W is makes a huge difference difference in your earnings. So it's it's not hard to win. But when you do, it sure is nice. Yeah. It also means you cash a check in pretty much every event if you win yeah. that AOI, which, oh, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, definitely yeah. nice. Uh, but neck and neck in this event, I mean, the winner was, you know, none other than, you know, Patrick Walters, who wears dad shorts and yes. is an awesome dude, by the way. Like, I got to meet him at Santee. Really nice guy, like brought everyone in for a, a photo because, folks, he also fishes the National Professional Fishing League as well. So, Talk about somebody that just like just has I don't know what it is, but his brain can process the fishing information so well. Um, It'll be interesting with with two MPFL events left, and he's got and Patrick has nothing else to focus. I mean, I'm sure he's got other business stuff he has to focus on right in the off season. But like tournament wise, like he he's not he doesn't have to go back to a bass event. He he's just got two MPFL events left. That's mm-hmm. right, and uh, he he's been really close this year. So yeah. It's cool to see. I, well, I, he won, well, he won Santee and oh, sec- yeah, 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 yeah. second at yeah, 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 Saginaw yeah, yeah. to to uh, Trent to Trent Palmer. He's a, had he, him on. He's, he's had great. a nice little run of. You know what's crazy? Tournament though, winnings this year. His smallmouth for a long time was his weakness. Yes. And this year, I, uh, they talked about it when he raised the blue trophy. He spent a lot of time in the off season up there with guys who knew how to catch smallmouth and and learning smallmouth better and. Obviously, it paid off to come in second in an NPFL event yeah. to a bunch of smallmouth hammers, and then to put up 105 pounds on on. Where's he from originally? He's from South Carolina, I believe. Yeah, I think yeah, South yeah. Carolana. It's Santee's his home lake. Yeah, it's yeah. what he considers home. It's lake. it's one of those things, and we've talked about it before. And I'm starting to hear some other anglers talk about it. Um, how this the northern smallmouth are just different than smallmouth throughout the rest of the country. They are Tennessee. Yeah. Well, and, and this year, else. this year. Canadian waters were open for him, right? Yeah, as last opposed, year too. Uh, yeah. Oh, was it last year too? Yeah, it was the year. The only year it wasn't yeah. was the COVID. COVID okay. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, COVID just like takes a whole lifetime yeah. away from you. Yeah, we were talking about something off air that I thought was last year and it yeah. was two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you lost a whole year. Oh man. yeah. Go ahead, Ben. No, I don't want to bring that discussion up. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, about COVID. Yeah. Well, it was it was something interesting. I, I think it's probably better for. Um, it was. So I guess what I'll say, and we, we don't talk about it now, it's, but uh, Swindle was talking about how during the COVID year, it really helped him out, not Swindle, um, Hackney, yeah. because because oh, yeah. they were there with, uh, because an events got canceled, he was actually able to fish the entire division in the opens and oh, yeah. requalify. But he but there's also maybe some COVID impacts business wise, right? Right. I'm Where sure. the organizations are. And that's why we're seeing things. So yeah. that, that's not really a, a point for today's discussion. No, it might no. be something we'll, we'll so we talk up. about later on yeah, down yeah. the line. Yeah. No, yeah. I get what you're saying. And man, just, yeah, Canada makes a big difference. Those fish are getting educated over there too. A lot of guys like to run to Canada because the fish were dumber. Per, that's what they say. <laughs> um, they just aren't as pressured as much as they're in the U.S. Yeah. But that's, that's starting to change. And it's, uh, for anybody who's never fished, uh, a boundary lake and ran to Canada. Like if you plan to go up there and do it, have your stuff in order. Like, because there's buoys out there that mark the thing. And as soon as you cross it, I promise you the Canadians are going to check you. You're 1000% going to get checked. And And if you don't have the Canadian required safety equipment, you have to have your Canadian sportsman card, your Canadian fishing license. You cannot step off of your boat for any reason into the water or onto land. You cannot put your power pools onto the land in Canadian water if you cross on the water through the U.S. Uh, without going through customs because technically you've made landfall at that point and now you've entered the country. But can I spot um, lock? You can spot lock. <laughs> can 
there it's crazy rules so if you do plan to go up there and fish it and you don't have the benefit of either having done it or bass giving you a rules briefing reach out to somebody up there local have a conversation reach out to pete make sure you have your stuff in order because i promise you i don't know if it's a bad on ontario because i never made made that but st Clair, as soon as you cross those buoys i promise you within 30 minutes there's a canadian boat on you and they're checking so, you so they don't greet you with maple syrup no they greet you with uh we're boarding your vessel where's your required safety <laughs> they said what are you doing are you bringing copenhagen over here to sell <laughs> <laughs> I'm are, telling you right now. Are they allowed to pursue you back into U.S. waters? Probably not. I don't know. That'd be a question for Border Patrol or somebody I mean, in the State Department. I mean, a lot of these bass roads are running <laughs> 70, 80 mile an hour. Right? You see them coming, you're not sure. Maybe <laughs> just hammer down and let's go. Send so, it. Uh, send so it. We're definitely not condoning. No, do not run. Don't run. We don't want an international incident on the border with Canada because some some bad thing <laughs> next thing you know ben is uh persona non grata out of canada can never return again png that's what that uh that's what that means persona non grata yeah it was cool though man like all in all wrapping it back up multiple multiple victories uh for joyce fuentes and and then winning winning roi biggest bag of smallies and bass history want uh brought into the scales i, I do want to say i don't know if they'll go back there next year they they might because they went they've gone the, oh, the last two or three years. We really do need a plan. <laughs> like let's let's schedule our vacation for the week after that event or and during the event so we can follow them around and then we can. I'm gonna Marshall drop waypoints. What are you <laughs> talking about? Yeah, dude, it's exactly right. <laughs> We're gonna follow them around Marshall and then we'll go back there on Monday or whatever. And yeah, I this is three years in a row i think they've gone so i'm pretty sure that's going to be a staple i don't i don't think and well they picked a really cool venue this year they they had it in clayton uh this year versus where they had it uh i think yeah, last they, they, year they can change the uh the locations on the river which is nice yeah so they it, it was different all around but i know that you know watching you know live they were very happy with the venue they were very happy with the the host community that they were in so um but yeah, man, like it's always cool to see like a smallmouth, uh, a big smallmouth fishery. And you know what's crazy is like, and these weren't spawning fish either. No, like that. That's what I was gonna say is like it's not like they went there in the spawn, and it's, but they caught massive, massive bags of fish. Well, right? What is so interesting to me with this with the St. Lawrence is that one, they're massive bags, but everyone catches them. Yeah, everyone seems to have a twenty pound bag, but it seemed like in this event. It wasn't so much ounces dividing people because we've seen a lot of these small off tournaments where first place may be ahead by six ounces and they're like the top 10 may be within just a couple pounds. That wasn't really the case here, right? You had, I mean, four century belts, but one was 105 and like, there, I mean, there was, so fifth place was 99 pounds. You had a little yeah. bit of separation here. Yeah. Um, and even with everyone catching four pounds smallmouth all day. We say that, but like that's one fish up there it's like if you don't have a five and a half pounder for your average in the elites you better you better plan on not winning <laughs> what's ridiculous to say that yeah no i know no no i know i know exactly what you're saying like but these aren't they're like oh yeah they're, yeah, they're yeah. not like the three pound cookie cutters where everyone no. has like st seven yeah st Clair. everyone has 17 like there's literally 20 people within six ounces of each other yeah. you know yeah. it seemed like there was a little more separation there definitely, was definitely bigger bags here. The top two were, you know, kind of close. And, and then it, after that, it was. And good. the weather was not super corroborative all four days either. I mean, Pete, you talked to Maddie, didn't you? Yeah, Maddie said he was fishing eight footers on the first day. I mean, you know, he's throwing out a shotguns like, hey, bro, these are eight footers. He surfs, so I trust his eight yeah. footers. Like, yeah. most people say eight footers and they're really like threes. But I mean, even and Maddie Robertson, Matt Robertson did an interview and talked like, and you could see the fear in that dude's eyes. He's like, I've never seen waves like that in my life, ever. Yeah. And uh, he was scared. But, um, yeah, that first day was uh, – and that's what cost some people. I mean, that cost some people the classic. Like, they didn't want to run that water because it probably wasn't safe. You had guys with their backs against the wall like Maddie had – he made the calculated risk like – he knew he needed to go out there and catch him and be. If I so die, took, I die. Yeah, like, <laughs> he had to take the it was shot. Full send. But, I think that's you. You bring up a really cool point. Like, it's not just because everybody knows. Like, oh yeah, they're out there looking at live or four face sonar, slinging a drop shot, or slinging a swim bait, or slinging a Ned rig, right? 
or if you're Patrick Walters, you're like the jerk bait master. But it, how about all the other things that go in it, that are involved with that person fishing, the weather, mechanical issues? Um, well, Matt Robertson ran 120 miles round trip a day. Gas, he like ran having some miles. gas. Right, I, not getting maple syruped by the Canadian yeah. border guard. That right? is like, that is one of the events I I may not actually want to be a marshal on. <laughs> if, if you're stuck, oh, let's go. If you're stuck out there just sitting there all day, yeah, in those massive waves or making huge runs in that rough water, it's but when you're fishing, you're focused, you're concentrated, like you can kind of push that stuff out. But otherwise, you're just sitting there like, yeah. And then good luck getting your uh, hands on some Berkeley Max scent flatworms after this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they seem to work that shortage out. But yeah. they, I mean, they've gone every year since 2018. So what's that? Five, six years, five years in yeah. a row. So they're going to go again next year. I mean, they it's, can't not with weights like that and, and the attention it's brought to smallmouth fishing. And I'm sure the money it's made for some of their sponsors, i.e., Berkeley and their flatworms. And uh, I, I saw that uh, Great Lakes Bait Company, who was i fished their stuff a long time ago wasn't very big they paid for an advertisement spot on bass live so they they've made some money off of off some folks doing well with their baits and talking about them so you know it's bolstering the economy for for sponsors and for it's just fun to watch 105 pounds of smallmouth get weighed in over four days honestly yeah that's the uh that's the unforgotten part i think about where these venues go is there's so much more besides like weighing fish you know, yeah, uh, with, with the MPFL, it's community outreach and bringing money to the economy with BASS. I mean, they're the largest, uh, I'd love to pull the data or find out how much money they actually help in the economy. It'd be really hard to do. You wouldn't be able to like pull the actual data for it, but like, I mean, look at OHIV. I mean, there's houses and stuff around there now just because of some of the content creators going around there and, and setting up. Yeah. I'm sure we could. I'm sure some of the local chamber of commerce is probably yeah. published yeah. stuff. Obviously, they push it out for the classic, um, yeah, right. Because there's um, Hartwell is always and and now it's now uh, St. Lawrence is it's a record-setting lake. It set records, uh, two records. It's set. I mean, it set records the last three years and broke them the following year. Right. So it's it set. Keeps- so it's just one of those places like you need to go to the St. Lawrence. And last so- year is when we had the Century Bell, right? Two century bells on the St. Lawrence. Yeah, with, with, that was the first smallmouth ever. Century and and, and last year, the weather because I remember talking about it was this, beautiful, was perfect, perfect, slick, calm, yeah, perfect conditions out there. Not as good this time, yeah. but with more century belts and heavier and heavier bags. Yeah, you had like the scene from The Guardian this time, and then you had you know Lake Placid mm-hmm. last time, yeah. and you have four century belts versus two biggest century belt bag. Big uh, or four day bag, and then biggest bag, biggest four. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> you're no, because somebody will be like, No, you're not, Jay- you're not weighing largemouth in there and having a century belt. It's no, not happening. Well, unless you luck into like an eight pounder, what, yeah. I front. forget what the record it's like a hundred and the total is like 137. Yeah, some ridiculous, some, something ridiculous. Is that a seven bass total? No, it was five. Oh wow, that's massive. That was the they had the 40 some pound right? bag weight because didn't um Lee was Lewis, that on Sharon? No, because uh, <laughs> didn't Livesey last year had like 116 or something on? Yeah, he had 116. And I was like, four. that's got to be close to the record. That was one. Mind. I think it was like 126 or something like that. There was a 42 pound bag, which yeah. is the largest bag ever in BSS tournament history. Guy caught him on a crankbait. I can't think of his name now. I'll pull it up. We'll talk about it. Um, the one thing I will say, if you do plan to go up there, because people are going to want to go to St. Lawrence, like everybody's talking about it. My dad's getting ready. <laughs> like, look at Barb Elliott. Look her up on Facebook. Order a fizz kit. Learn how to fizz fish. Uh, she was there all week with the elites. Lisa Talmadge called her out on stage and thanked her for you know helping train the anglers. Uh, Barb went as far as printing the instructions in Japanese to give to Fujita and them guys because they, they didn't know how to fizz fish properly. He was still doing it through the mouth. Um, and I think uh, Bass put the numbers out and they had a 97% release rate, which is ridiculous considering most of those fish were caught in 40 plus foot of water. So, yeah. So I learned a little bit. I mean, they even pumped out a video uh, did you say that? Did I just like, no, okay. they pumped out a video on how to, on, on how to fizz bass. Mm-hmm. Like 
you know, like you, you, sh you have to do that, man. Like, you know, even, even though the, the bass are released, like there's nothing saying that a lot of those don't like heal up and die. They have far better chances of surviving and, and like six pound smallmouth are like what, like 30 year old fish or something, even in the older, great lakes, you're in the great 20, lakes, 20 plus years old. So like, you know, it takes them a long time to get that big and these guys and, and bring it up, uh, that I don't know if you guys saw, and I think it was from the St. Lawrence or maybe it was from Champlain, but I need to bring this up. Did you guys see Bradley Hallman make his post where his his filtration system was clogged from pool noodles and he had a five dead fish limit? I want to say it was on Champlain. No, I missed that. So that's something to to think about, right? So like not only is are you trying to fizz these fish, but like do a good like maintenance check of your equipment. You know, like look at that filter that's right there in the bottom of that screen because he put he put it on social media. He's like, I'll never use pool noodles again because the whatever the I don't know the dandruff from the pool noodles that's went lucky. down to include whatever G juice or rejuvenate he was using and literally clogged it up and it wasn't able to recirculate water and pump out and they all died. Right? Can you imagine that? Right? So. Here just something to some think of that's about. on bradley holman because you i mean i de i don't fish anything that serious and i descale after every other tournament and you wouldn't have that issue if you descaled your live wells like if you don't know how I'll go on my tiktok p shandrick fishing i put a whole video on there on how yeah. to descale your live wells it takes like an hour but, uh, um, but mean, that'll keep that from happening i mean yeah maybe there's something he should have checked more but at the same time yeah it's just something to think about he, like he's probably fishing and that was that which event was that at? He said he I, I, I think it was at Champlain. I know it was absolutely in smallmouth territory because he posted the the, the post. Let me let me pull it up it, while we're it, talking. Regardless, like I can see how that happening. Like yeah, yeah. You got to practice. You're going for tournament, back to back tournaments, mm -hmm. whatever it is, right? Yeah. You you you're, you've been doing that for you guys have been doing that for years. Pull noodles and and because we're on the topic of conservation and fizzing fish, it's yeah. just another thing to like be on check the lookout for well. like check your live wells and stuff like that. And, and I never, I mean, it was a huge shock to me. I was like, wow. Cause I have pool noodles all in my live well, yeah. but I don't fish 300 days a year. Like a lot of these guys do. And so you're right. There is some account there. You are a hundred percent accountable for that. I mean, I know guys, right? I know guys in the elites that, that do it in the middle of a tournament at night while they're re-rigging. Yeah. Just to, especially if they're in a tournament where they've been eating a lot of crawfish and there's a bunch yeah. of junk in there. Like, not saying I'm not blaming Bradley for that happening, but don't don't just blame your equipment when stuff. No, goes. And I'm not saying he did. This is for the folks listening. Like, do your due diligence, check your stuff. Don't be afraid to use pool noodles. I've been using them forever, including fishing up north. And I can promise you, when I lived in Pennsylvania, I did not ever it, descale. It, my it, and it's and it's one of those things with Bradley. Maybe there was maybe something else happened right that caused that. It's a That's good right. learning deal. Yeah, but yeah. it's one of those things like because we've all been there. He's never going to use pool noodles again. Yeah, but I've been there. That cost of, we've all got yeah. probably certain lines and baits yep. that we've used. We're like, oh, never again that we're using this. For sure. You know what cost us. Yeah. Right? And, and Trey, repeat, you guys may love something that I absolutely hate. You know, yeah. this is the way. It, Somebody's making mats now. I think DD26 is making a yeah. mat for in your live well. It's a solid piece of foam and it's not that. Like pool noodles are that like uh, open cell foam or yeah, closed cell, but they flake. This stuff doesn't flake. So if it is something you're, you're worried about, you know, there's some options coming out. Technology's getting better. Hopefully, as more people put fish lungs in their boat, you may not even need pool noodles anymore. Yeah, for sure. Like our technology's getting better for the fish. Yeah, so, you know, obviously forward-facing sonar is is the biggest hot topic and and it i think it it transpires from so many different angles right there's a lot of anglers that absolutely love it there's a lot of anglers that absolutely hate it there's a lot of anglers that may not love it but know it's necessary for success in the competitive world um but i did see a video that was pushed out and, and some people are trying to take some polls on uh you know people's thoughts when it comes to uh, forward-facing sonar should it be allowed and should it not be allowed like and let's just let's just use bass or or the major competitive tours i have some thoughts on it but i wanted to get your guys's thoughts should it be quick. allowed should it be period? allowed like should it be allowed period 100 percent. yeah there's there's absolutely nothing that you can say or do that'll tell me that it shouldn't be allowed why 
I mean, it's technology. It's not. It's still. It's not catching the fish for you. All it's doing is making you more effective at your job. That'd be like saying, "We have this new weapon system. It's going to make you a lot better, more accurate. You're not going to miss any targets, but we're not going to let you use it because we feel like it's cheating." That's exactly what the army would do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but oh. you catch like for me. So, put it this way: another military analogy. Say you're in Afghanistan, like we used to be. You're on a target. You're done. Maybe you're smoking, cutting up. The eye in the sky is above you. And like we got two squatters, 200 meters at this azimuth. And you just pop, pop. Is that yeah. fair? Is that a fair fight? I mean, uh, you just got to ask Geneva. <laughs> <laughs> at the I end mean, of the day, I mean, I'm glad we have show. it, right? It, it's, it's, it's the yeah. point is that we've we come to a point where we've got a system now that allows us to see uh, fish in real time. But, but is it really fundamentally different than down imaging, side imaging? Uh, uh, 2D, right? Is yeah. it any different? No, it's a rate. It's a rate. It's not a rate. It's I a feel sound like, wave going out and bouncing back. I feel like every generation's had this debate. Is something news come out? Here, here's what I'll say. When the Alabama rig came out, it absolutely made a difference, and Bass was super fast to react and say, "We're not going to allow this in tournaments because it's, it's just not fair to the fish." They haven't done it to. To four fakes. Who came out with the first Alabama rig? I can't remember the name of the company that came out with the first one. Small company, right? It was a small company. Probably somebody in Texas. I don't. I don't want to lose anything here, but I don't think it would have mattered. The the money behind there was a lot of optics with that too, because if if you fish much with an A rig, like you know, when one smacks it, he ends up with nine hooks in them, and and it it can turn into a mess pretty quick. Yeah, Yeah, I understand Um, that. So that was it was an optics thing, like. But that, I'm just using an example. Like that was a piece of technology. It came the first year. A bunch of dudes won using it, and they were like, "Nope, this isn't fair. We're not going to allow it on tour." Okay, cool. With Ford, fa- I mean, we heard how we when side engine came out, people were losing their mind. Like, oh, the fish aren't going to have anywhere to hide now. They they used to be able to go offshore, and nobody knew they were there, and so they had a place for conservation. It's no different than when any of that came out. You're not going to convince me otherwise, but Trey's going to try because he's good at it. No. He agrees? No, no. So here's what I'll say. (laughs) Forward-facing sonar should not be allowed at the competitive level of bass fishing if they get paid to fish. What I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Oh, if it's a salary? If you own a team, right? If you own a NASCAR, if you own whatever. So that new league coming out, you're saying should ban it? Well, here's what I'm saying. Until anglers are getting paid. Until they're employees. Until they're employees. Versus being an independent contractor. And you want to make the argument that like it's going to set the stage. It's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a fair playing field. It's going to do well. But but I want to limit all these things, but you're still going to spend all your money then to me, I'm like, well, that doesn't even make any sense. However, if if somebody's paying me, you, me, and, and Peter on a team, we're limited to 16 rods per boat, two graphs per boat, Mercury or whatever brand, 250 on the boat, whatever brand of shallow water. You know what I'm saying? Like Kind of like how the MLF ran the cup events, but until, the argument to me doesn't make sense, right? Like, NFL teams have a standard set of pads, standard set of cleats. Even that argument doesn't make yeah. sense, though, because if everybody has it, then you're not giving anybody an unfair advantage. So if I give everybody forward-facing sonar, right? Then, but what I'm saying is, is like, even if, if even team. if everybody does have it, but they're like, no, take it away because my skills aren't as good as their skills, right? That's what I think a lot of it's boiling down to. Okay. There's two things I think it's boiling down to. One, people are like, mm, it sucks to watch on TV. Well, you know what? Don't watch TV. Go outside. Uh, or Get touch grass. <laughs> go or, fish. You know, or go fish, right? Or two, or the other thing I think is, is I believe that maybe some anglers, I don't know who, but I would assess that some anglers are a little upset that they're not good as the other anglers on it, so they may make the argument. I'm not saying that's the case. Randy Block. The only the only two two things that I could really see. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't understand how people can get because the um, your first point makes sense, but the second one, like everyone on the Elite Series, BPT, they've got it, right? Yeah, unless and MPFL, everybody has it on unless they choose not to for a particular reason, right? Like John Cox, 
they've all got it. He's got it too. Just well, I think he does it. Yeah, yeah. Right. They've all got it. So it's not like it's an un, it's not a level playing field. They all have it. So, so, so is it really stemming from the fans? I, I think a lot of it. No, it's a hundred percent from the fans, and it's it's all it's all. But there are anglers to Trey's point that look at what Bernie and them said on live, like they were upset about how it played a role. You have some other guys, you know, Rick Clun again, cosmic professional was like, Hey, it's just the times changing. You either get on the bus or you get off. And KVD said the same thing, but then there's other guys, Randy block. It's well outspoken about it. He's a guy that just hasn't got, he doesn't agree with it. So he doesn't use it, putting himself at a disadvantage. You have other guys who aren't as good with it. Bernie Schultz is a guy that's not great. He's a great sight fisherman. Been on on the elites a long time. And don't don't complain about live scope if you're a sight fisherman too. Take away the polarized sunglasses, like that gives you an unfair advantage, right? Yeah, it cuts down the glare on the water. Now I can see. So there's a lot. There's so many arguments to the, and from. The, the big argument I see is that it's mostly coming from fans because most competitors have accepted it that you have to do it. Even like Maddie, I don't know if this made the episode we were, but we were talking to him, but like he's like. It's not my favorite way to fish. Oh, I don't enjoy idea. doing it that way, but it's it's what you have to do to go catch the bigger fish on some of these bodies. He of even said it on the stage this week, weighing in ninety five yeah. pounds to, like, to, to be competitive. I went out and caught him, not the way I want to, but I did what I had to do. And, and so the comments I see are like, you know, they need to take away. Yeah, Look. looking down the screen, and, and they think it's an unfair advantage and it's, it's cheating cool. in some way, but everyone's got it. So like that's the, a level playing field. The one thing about most of the folks are saying how it's cheating are people that have never spent one minute using forward-facing sonar. Because I didn't know. I thought it was going to make fishing easier before I had it. Absolutely 100% not. Like, you can see fish all day. doesn't mean you're going to make them bite. And it's the same. It's just a whole different style. And I, I think Rick called it that. Like, Rick is like, it's a new technique. It's a technique. Which, so, yeah. I mean, think about it, right? It's a technique. And it's obvious. A lot of times it's finesse-driven. But... We have gone through different uh, ages yep. in this sport where different techniques have, have really taken hold. I mean, when, when the when the chatterbait first came out, yep. I mean, that was almost as bad as the Alabama rig. Yeah, I'm surprised Bass didn't ban it. I right? bet they talked about it. You know, um, and it's, you know, when side imaging first came out, I mean, we had original flashers and 2D, and then people were doing the whole live scope thing, the, old, the OG way on 2D. Yep. You know, we were talking about before guys would turn their 2D. Yeah, I knew guys that turned horizontally 2D. so they could look under docks. Yeah, like where you know. So I just don't understand where it's it's technology. It's it allows us to find fish that we haven't found before. It makes the events more exciting. I think we can all agree people don't like change, and this is change. Like well, it's I changing, think it's changing the landscape of how these guys are going. It's been seven it. years, eight years, yeah. and I get yeah. Like the first, the first I, Garmin came out, I think almost ten years ago. It wasn't great, so, but they still. So had I it. got LiveScope in 2019. They had that old PVS 22 and, before that. Yeah, yeah, the old the Panoptics yeah. one. The, but you know, I got LiveScope in 2019. I think I was about a year late because I was during deployment. So 2018 is when it came out. So it's been five years with the LiveScope, and then but the Panoptics was two or three years before that. So yeah, I mean, uh, we've almost, had live sonar been. for. Seven, eight years. And when T when 2D got really good, you can crank that up and you could see your jig and stuff fall. So guys mm -hmm. have been using 2D like that for 20 years. I think that I think where I think people are getting extremely hung up on one, watching the, the content. They're they're really getting hung up on that. And listen, like these organizations are a business, right? Like if they want you to watch them, but at the same time, they're also marketing product and selling product, right? But you know, they're there is, there's some guys out there that are running like transducers on the back of each power pole and, you know, in different places on their boat. But you know what? Their sponsors are also paying for them to play this game. I, I do believe that if we see any type of regulation around forest facing sonar, it'll be a limit like one per boat. Right. Instead of having but five or six transducers. That's the only thing I could potentially see, but it's not going anywhere. If someone wants to run it because you, you run the risk of you know, information paralysis. Yeah, absolutely. You, right. You can only really donate most of your attention on one at a time. Yep. So it's not going to be that much of an advantage to, to run multiple. It's, it's interesting yeah. where we're at. And if, if anybody's been fishing long enough, I, I am just old enough to remember when two, when side imaging first came around and the debate, I remember when crossbows first came out, I've oh, always been yeah. big in archery and, 
everybody hated crossbows. Uh, my dad talks about there's still when the first when the, yeah my dad talked about when the first compound bows came out and all the guys were shooting recurves and they oh, talked yeah. about how the compound bow was ruining archery gun. It's yeah. going to ruin the sport. They're going to kill all the deer. They're going to be shooting at 300 yards. People just don't like change, man. And this is—it's change. It really and truly is change. They probably said the same thing. But here's from, the thing: from muskets to bolt action. Let's say I'm really good with forward-facing sonar, and you put me and Bernie Schultz on Santee when fish are on the bed. Bernie's probably going to whoop me to death. Sight so fishing, right. That, like, and I do want to bring up one other thing with that. Yeah, go ahead. Because um, because you talk about people say it's boring because they're looking down the screen, but for ninety percent of bass coverage. You're just looking at dude casting. You're looking at dude looking off in the distance casting or replays, <laughs> right? Or re, right, and obviously during the replays, so, they're showing the excitement. But like, okay, they're casting and looking down versus casting and looking so at the just, horizon. Just like, for argument, you, you know, or just to just to talk on that, Ben. I'm going to share a conversation I had on social media with the gentleman who brought up the argument. And I don't remember the guy's name or even what group it was on. He brought up about how it was boring to look at the back of an angler's head staring at forward facing sonar. And I said, well, it's no different than watching a guy going down a bank and you're looking at his back and he's just throwing his argument to that was, yeah, but there's trees and stuff in the background. Now we're just looking at a boat in open water. That is what this guy was upset so, about because there was no trees that, or hey, shoreline or, or bank grass to look at while he was fishing. You know what? Like, He's totally entitled that. Oh, and I'm not saying he so shouldn't have that. Maybe opinion, he lives in the city. I don't know. Maybe that's something that a lot of folks like. They like to see the bank. They like. I get like it's hard to go out and emulate a guy that's fishing with forward facing sonar. Not everybody can afford it. It's still fairly expensive. It's not going to be forever. Eventually, the technology, just like back in the day, nobody had computers. I think I have like seven computers now yeah. because one one starts to screw up. You just go buy a new one because they're relatively cheap. Or just um, think when side imaging came side out, imaging right? was super then, expensive. You had to have special boxes and all like the 3D scan that that Lawrence had that you had oh, to yeah, mount yeah, somewhere yeah. the structure yeah. scan to get good side imaging. Now they can do it all the transducer, um, and it's more affordable. You can get a good side imaging unit for six hundred bucks now. Yeah. Uh, before you know when it first came out, it was a thousand dollars, which in today's terms would be three thousand dollars, which yeah. is what you're yeah you're looking at like for that for that price, like you can get. What's the new forward facing? I think the new active target two is like fifteen ninety nine, so it's already come down. Because when LiveScope first came out, when you got it, it was like it was eighteen ninety nine or four, it was fourteen ninety nine plus. Which five years ago, with inflation that we're at now, that would have been close to two thousand probably, right? Like it's all relative the, to to the time. The only the the last thing I want to say in the topic, and we we definitely want to know like your thoughts on this. Like, please comment. If you, if you don't like it, then you don't like it. It's like I drive Ford. I don't drive Chevy. Like I just do, right? It's not a big deal. I don't hate Chevy for developing Chevy. Um, but I will say this, and, and maybe this is maybe there's some goodness to all this technology. There's there's a generation of angler that's fishing right now, not Rick Clone's generation, but like maybe in that mid, like, you know, 30s to 40s that KVD's generation. KVD's generation. I'm a, even a little younger than that. A, yeah. There, there are a lot of anglers, and I, I have witnessed this. There's a lot of young anglers coming up, and really, the only thing they do know is forward-facing sonar in 360 and stuff like that. So, if I'm a competitor, and I know that I grew up with instincts and intuition, and I get to read my environment and understand and have situational awareness, but now I'm really good at forward-facing sonar. You may be faced with a bunch of new anglers coming into the mix that aren't as good at all those other things, and you might still be able to put a butt whooping on them, right? It's interesting because, you know, they've said the same thing about offshore fishing the last, let's say, 10 to 15 years, ever since side imaging came out. There's obviously a lot more pressure offshore than there used to be. That was even before, you know, forward-facing sonar came about. It's obviously probably exponentially increased because of that now. Um, but – because there's less pressure on the bank. There's always resident fish on the bank. Like you, you can still, I mean, there's still guys that pretty much make a living on the bank. Yeah. You know, John Cox. And, and it's, what's interesting. It, it would be very interesting with, especially like the young, young people. So yes. the high schoolers and college age now who, who all they've ever known is Ford facing sonar compared to the guys, maybe in their late twenties, thirties, forties, who they've kind of got a mixture of both. Yes. Right. Obviously, we're seeing that the older guys are not 
able to compete as well using the new technology. That's a function. That's some of that's a function of probably stamina too and in age getting up there. But it'll be very interesting. Yeah, when we see the youngest guys come up and they, because like um, we're going to see it this year with guys that are coming up out of the EQs. I think so. You got the Trey McKinney and them that that have come up with that stuff, fishing high school and college, and yeah, but like some of your college anglers now could potentially have fished four years at a high level with yes. forward facing sonar. And, and so, like I said, 2019 is when I got mine, so that's been four years, right? Some people may have had it five or six, but really, it didn't become super popular until around COVID, right? People, more people were able to finally get it, save up money. And then the other companies came out with theirs. So, you know, guys who have been in college the last few years, yeah, they've been using it all, but they've got several years of fishing probably where they had to rely on instinct and their other electronics. It's someone like who is in eighth grade now, and all they've used the last four years is live scope. And I wouldn't say all they've used. Yeah. So 2015 was pan optics, live scope was 2018. Yeah. So you, you start talking like guys, or even, you know, in like, eighth grade ninth grade 10th grade now that's all they've ever really used yeah and this is what they're going to continue to use there maybe you're right maybe there's yeah. someone in there who will who's more of a instinctual shallow water type of guy yeah right there's still a place for him that you can do well because we see guys on on the elites um john cox cox <laughs> yeah poche yeah right I mean, there's just that style of fishing. I, I said it before. I, I left my, I won't say the brand, but I left my forward-facing sonar that I purchased when it first came out, this version, uh, in my garage for about 18 months or so. And and, and I didn't put it on, right? And, and, and I fished a whole, and I finally put it on in November of last year. Uh, and I used the winter time to go out and like just understand it and just, but you're always un- trying to understand it because it changes every minute. Uh, fish do fish behavior is always dynamic. And so I will say out of the 12 tournaments I fished this year, it really played a role in two of them. I didn't win a single tournament this year. Highest place I had was a sixth place finish, right? It really played a role in two of them, but everything is so fishuational because depending on where you live is going to dictate how you fish a lot of times. So I would just say like, you know, keep an open mind to a lot of things. There's going to be another thing that comes out in the future. We don't know what that is, but it's just like, you know, one person gets bad PR and then the next week you hear yeah. a bad news story and then you forgot about what happened, right? I'm not going to say you're going to forget about forward-facing sonar, but it is interesting to hear people's thoughts on it. Um, and I just, I'm not, I'm not big on like encroaching on uh, limiting capabilities in a sport where people play or pay to play it. If they were being paid to play the sport instead of paying to play the sport, it might be a different story where every single one of those anglers got a cut of something. But when you're paying your own money, some guys are paying their own money and most mostly sponsorships. I just don't feel like it's the right answer to be like, oh, this is terrible. Ban it completely. That's just my opinion on it. Yeah. Maybe some regulation might help with evening the playing field. But at the end of the day, like, Hey man, you're your own angler. You have your own strengths and weaknesses. Like go out there and prosper and work on your weaknesses. Don't work on your strengths. Don't skip leg day. Yeah. I, I guess the, I guess my final thoughts on it is that if, if you're not a live scope fan, folks, you, you don't have to get it. You don't have to use it, but you're going to have to accept it. <laughs> it. It's not going anywhere. It's a tool. Yeah. There's too much big money behind it. Um, Right. So there's practical reasons. There's there's financial reasons. There's just been too much success on it. I mean, you get stories of guys catching massive bags and mm-hmm. Okeechobee in the river and like 17 foot like that would have never been done before. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Without that technique, no one would have known those fish were there. Yeah. And of course, he caught it by accident because he was crappie fishing for dinner. Yeah. And it just happened to find that. So that was luck involved there, too. It just, you know, life seemed to help. So. You know, we're just going to have to accept that it's here. You don't have to run a 250. You can run a 150. Yep. But everyone's running a 250. Minus Keith Boucher. 175, isn't it? I don't know. I think well, I thought it was whatever the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. But yeah. my last thing on it is uh, figure it out or keep donating. Yeah, that's like, right. <laughs> you either get with, yeah, the, with the times or you complain about them and 
and put yourself at a, a disadvantage because if you have instincts like Trey said and you can find fish and now you have a tool to help you better learn how to catch those fish and you're not using it, uh, if you can't afford it, that's one thing. But if you're not doing it just because you feel like you're some type of purist, then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage that you don't need to and, and you can't complain about it if you're if you're doing it to yourself, is my opinion. Yeah. Let's end on a high note. Congratulations, Patrick Walters. Patrick. Congratulations, Kyle Welcher. Ah. Congratulations, Brian Smith, for winning the largest smallmouth bag in a BASS mm-hmm. tournament. Uh, who else are we? Joey C. Fuentes, Rookie of the Year. Joey C. Fuentes. Maddie Wong. Maddie Wong. Requalifying Maddie. for the elites. I got to give Maddie a shout out wearing some of his uh, lateral vision stuff. Yeah, you're welcome, lateral vision. If you hear that, give me a call. A shout out to lateral vision and Maddie Wong's gear. Uh, if you guys don't have anything else, I'll close her out. Yeah, close man. It, close it out. Appreciate Make sure you head to One Cast Fishing. Check their stuff out. CarolinaWatersNC.com. Check their stuff out. Uh, make sure that you're good to each other, man. Help us continue to grow an ang- a community of anglers helping anglers one cast at a time. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God. It's a toad, It's a toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day.